Musical stylings for ITP, aka In the Pocket, are provided by Graphic Millet. His music is available where fine music is sold. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers, who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. This special episode of In The Pocket is made possible by being a recipient of Space Gallery's American Rescue Plan grant. As a component of this grant, there is a companion art installation called Afro in Utero on display at Mayo Street Arts from May 5th to June 25th. Thank you listeners for tuning in to In The Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards, and today our special guest is Angela Okafor. I'm probably going to run out of tape saying her introduction because there's just so much that she does. She's very amazing. Um, she's a lawyer. Her business is Okafor Law. She also has another business called International Market, which is a market as well as a hair salon. She was the first person of color and first immigrant on Bangor City Council. She's won awards from the first annual Community Solidarity Award to receiving in 2018 the Trailblazer Award by Empower the Immigrant Woman. She has served on the board for the Maine Multicultural Center. She started an affinity group. Uh, It's called Bangor Area White Parents of Black Kids. She is a director of community engagement, and she has an online business, which she will go into more detail. She's from Nigeria, and she has been in Bangor since 2007. (sighs) Take a breath. And so everybody, please meet Angela Okafor. And Angela, please introduce yourself. Hi, Flo. Thank you for having me. Um, My name is Angela Okafor, like you rightly said. I live in Bangor. I've lived in Bangor since 2007. I have three kids. I am originally from Nigeria, and um, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So I've been doing some research on black hair, and it kind of brought me back to Nigeria, which is what made it interesting to reach out to you. So thank you for having the time to, to do that. And it seems that a lot of, or the biggest ethnic group in Nigeria is the Yoruba people. Are you a part of that ethnicity? Called Yoruba, but no, I am not. I am Igbo. Igbo. I mean, it, it, it's arguable. 
okay. which, which ethnic group is the thickest, but generally there are three major ethnic groups, the Yoruba, the Hausa, and the Igbo, and the Igbo from the southeastern part of Nigeria. So with that, did you bring a strong hair braiding culture? I, I feel like I might have read that you taught yourself how to braid your own hair. Yeah, so when I came to Bengal, I, of course, Bengal, when I came here in 2007, there was hardly a black person from anywhere, really. Um, so uh, when I came, of course, I had my hair well braided, you know, from Nigeria, and one month passed, two months, three months, and, you know, it was like, I got this hair out, what am I going to do? And I I came on a H4 visa, I couldn't walk, I was, I had all the time on my hands, so I started one day just fiddling my hair, and that was how I learned how to braid hair. Then there wasn't the University of YouTube, as so many people call it right now, there wasn't anything like that. Um, so that was how I learned. The more I, first time I did it, it looked pretty funny, but at least I got something. So the next time I did it, I had more confidence and that was how we continued until it became a business. So yes, I taught myself how to do braid hair on my own head. So I feel like when you're braiding on your own head, do you feel like it's like different than when you're braiding on someone else's? It is actually supposed to be different. I, I heard, I, I don't feel it's different because people who learned how to braid hair, like who went and learned, they tell me that I braid it backwards. Or, you know, <laughs> what do you expect? I learned how to do it on my head. The most important thing is that it comes out neat and good and beautiful and well done. So, I don't so but I, I think from what I heard, it's supposed not to be the same, but for me, it's pretty much the same. The only thing is, you know, when I'm doing my hair, doing the back, is I'm, I'm very painful to bend and stretch my hands. And at the same time, my pattern usually is not as smooth as it would be on someone else's head. Uh, but that's about it for me. Nice. Do you, have you hired uh, hair braiders? Not, not currently, no. I haven't. I, I always do the hair braiding myself. Sometimes I do them weekends. So yes, I. Your next question is to how many days do I work? I work seven days a week. I have to. Why do you have to? Because keeping busy helps me. It's. I don't know. It's just something that I have grown into over the years. I I just don't know how to be busy. I like it. I I feel so unaccomplished. Uh, knowing that you work seven days a week and I work really hard to be like, I'm only, you work for yourself. So maybe that's different. But since I have an employer, I'm like, eh, you, you get four days, you get four days. The rest are mine. Currently I have an employer. I work for the permanent commission on the status of racial tribal and indigenous populations of Maine. Um, so with that, yes, sometimes I, I am responding to emails or sending emails or working weekends or nights and you know it's just thankfully i'm remote so it kind of helps me to you know be able to run everything including the kids uh but it makes me that is part of why i work seven days a week and things have to be done it has to be done i actually met you in person at inclusion mains conference which was in march 
And one thing I learned is that so many immigrants are overemployed. And it sounds like you fall in that category. Um, I don't think I'm overemployed. I think, I'm, I mean, you know, when you come from a background whereby you've had to struggle, you've had to be pregnant, to be um, uh, hungry, you know, you've, you've had to laugh a lot. And uh, then you come and you see an opportunity. You know, it's it's very easy to want to not just focus on one source of income. And I mean, look at our society. You know, I mean, who really um, thrives like that in um, from one source of income? Because for me, um, law and what I do, I would say more like my law is my my profession, but everything else I do is my passion. Everything else is me. I love to relate with people. I, I joke that I get my energy from interacting with people. Um, I love fashion, which is part of why, you know, my new online business is hinged on it. I just love fashion, uh, fashion air, clothes, shoes, bags, just all those things help me express myself. So I would say everything else I do are me and everything I do are so intertwined with each other, which is why it doesn't really seem like I'm working. When I'm breeding people's hair, I love to bring communities together. When I'm breeding people's hair, I'm bonding with them. So it helps me, like the affinity group that I created, uh, about white, uh, Bangor area white parents of black kids, is from uh, white parents, either biological white parents of black kids or adopted white parents of black kids, bringing their kids for me to braid their hair. And then we bond from there. Sometimes they are struggling. So they come to my store just to, like, you know what do you think and of course by the time you hear stories over and over and you probably don't have an idea how to help the next thing basic thing to do is to find someone who can help and from that i found out that you know there are so many black kids who need support or who their parents need support to be able to support them but society kind of feels um fails to not really be noticing that so that led me to creating that group um to be able to um bring more people together to not just identify with each other, but support each other. And in that group, there's been, um, there was one specifically that, you know, they were trying to connect with the adopted child's um, home country. And through that group, they were able to do that. So it's something that, you know, when I'm braiding hair, it's helping me know what can I push. I'm also on the board of Memorial Cultural Center. So it helps me when I get this information from, it helps me connect to something else or it helps me in my job or, you know, so it's everything I do are so intertwined together, really, that doesn't feel like I am doing so many different things. Because you are doing what you love. You are expressing yourself. I'm just living my life, exactly. Yeah. The only job I really have is when I'm doing the immigration, like when I have a case. And why is that? per se a job because it sounds like you're passionate about those issues as well yes i am but i like you said you know um i have an employer so that is different from every other thing that i do because those ones i do at my pace how i want them i dictate how and what and when or how fast but that is an employment that i you know there are rules there are uh, there are time structures and all of that so that is why that is different but when i'm still relating and interacting with people 
it's still me like you know it's still part of what i i love to do that's beautiful um i was thinking about how your braiding salon did it have a boost in business after the crown act was passed in maine um, the Crown Act, you know, uh, like I said, I told you how all everything I do intertwines. Um, I was uh, the the one of the, the the people that testified was through my business. It's like I told you, you know, I'm braiding hair. They're telling me their stories. So when there was a need to get someone to testify, it came in very handy. Um, so that is one where my everything I do intertwines. I don't think that really has added a lot, but it has added to conversations that I have when people are sitting on my chair and I'm reading their head because, you know, you get people who feel more bold, emboldened by that to share their stories or their experiences of not um, being forced to either straighten their hair or uh, feeling the need. Sometimes they are not forced or, you know, the way you're looked at, the way you feel like everybody's judging you. So some of them feel like, feel the need, you know, to fit in, um, to straighten their hair. I've had clients come to me and tell me how they go to certain places to get their hair done and how they were told to either straighten it or to use um, the chemical to straighten it or to use heat to straighten it or to actually cut trim their hair so it could be braided or it could be styled. So I think it started up a kind of a conversation by, you know, um, and some kind of emboldenment on several individuals. Yeah, those are some deep conversations you probably have and probably will still have with people. What made you decide not to straighten your hair? I mean, I used to straighten my hair because, you know, you know how they say, um, you see someone, what someone does best, most times they don't do for themselves. I, I would I would say that I'm very lazy when it comes to working on my own every even though I do that, but I'm not as meticulous as I can be on other people's hairs. Um I I preferred the, the easy way of just you know straightening my hair. It was pretty very easy for me to do that because I'm pretty sensitive stuff. Um, but as, as time went on at some point, you know, I kind of liked how kinky and beautiful it looked without being straightened. I'm actually, my hair is actually um, sister locked right now. Um, but I did it in, you know, very tiny way that I could braid. So this is twist that I'm wearing. So I twisted the, the sister locks, um, which is one good thing with me being able to do my hair. I could, you know, and the thing with me, braiding hair too, is like, it's like therapeutic for me. You know, when my head is so full or or I need a break, like hair, like this hair I did, I, was, I wasn't having a very good day that day. Things I was doing was, you know, when you're working on a computer and like all the, all the, whatever it is, you know, it's working against you that day. I was like, I needed a break. So I just got out and pulled out some extensions and I just started doing my hair just to calm down. So it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's something that, very therapeutic for me to do hair. Whether I'm doing it on someone's head or I'm doing it on my own hair or I'm doing it on my daughter's head. That's really cool to hear. And it makes me think about our hair is the closest. I'm not terribly uh, religious, but I'm spiritual. And 
the hair on our head is the closest thing to God or a higher power. So it does make sense that you engaging in your hair is probably relaxing or as well yeah. as it being self-care. So. And when people do one another's hair, like I always think about when my mom would braid my hair, it was time for us to engage in conversation, to catch up on the week, or for her to pass on some wisdom to me. And it sounds like you're doing that with your clients. Oh yeah, I, I do that with my clients. Most times, you know, there's this joke that is they once say, you know, women come together in a salon. That is where you hear everything go. <laughs> so, you know, people open up, they share their innermost um, struggles or themselves. They, you know, they unveil themselves. And um, that has been one of the biggest ways that I have connected with my community in so many ways, um, you know, meeting with them and having to spend that time with them. So when you do do you do you have daughters or you just have sons you have, you have I have a daughter I have two two sons and a girl okay so and I assume that she has hair that you you do correct yes I, I do I, I mean it's it's been a struggle because she she's very very terribly sensitive scalp um so she she used to cry a lot but lately um she she is becoming a big girl like you know now which is part of that thing that we struggle with he uh, uh, her idea of a princess is long hair you know thankfully we have extensions but that is one of the things you know we're talking about that for little girls to understand that your hair doesn't have to be straight and long for you to be beautiful for you to have your ponytail you can have short skinky ponytail and you know your hair, the straight, um, silky, long hair does not define a girl. So that is one thing we, you know, we're, we're still struggling and talking. I mean, I still braiding extensions for her to get her long hair, but it's a conversation that we, you know, I sip in according to. I mean, she's, she's just eight, so we sip it in the little, little ways we can always emphasize that, you know, your hair is beautiful and, you know, and she comes back and she complains about how some people feel like her hair is this or her hair is that, you know. And then we talk about how being you doesn't matter about what anybody else thinks about you, you know. How being you is beautiful, how some people criticize people based on their insecurities. So, you know, these are little, little conversations we have here and there with her. But yes, we talk about her and how um, it fits into our identity as women and how however we choose to wear it doesn't take away the beauty thank you i love that conversation that you're having with your daughter and how you're you're not making it a big deal you're like slowly putting in little nuggets of information but that is a thing for women the standard of beauty is always long flowing hair but black women's hair it grows upward. It does not grow downward for most of us. Um, so I'm glad that you are addressing that. Does that come up in your salon too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It does come, you know, um, some, 
some young women or kids come and they are very excited. They've been looking forward to getting their hair braided. Sometimes they are struggling with, you know, being able to um, to take care of the hair because, you know, especially mostly biracial um, kids because, you know, they, they have the best of both worlds. You know, it's long, it's dense, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's not very straight, you know, so they struggle with are managing it, combing it out, so they are looking, they've been looking forward to like get it braided or how do I manage it? Or the parents are like, how do I comb it out? Why is it always this? Why is it always that? So it always comes up or how they struggle with this or how someone just walks up and starts to touch their hair before they even, you know, there is always something coming up and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of times I learn from those conversations, even from little girls. Um, a lot of times I will believe they learn from me, but it's something that there is almost always, everybody almost always has a story, a hair story to tell. Yeah. Um, is and there... I get, I get, I get uh, vacation clients too who want to get their hair braided. Sometimes some people come, some of them come and they're like feeling, you know, is this, uh, um, uh, what is it called, uh, appropriation, you know? And it's like, uh, if we, so it's that conversation, it always comes, whether it's, it's black people or bi biracial uh, people or, or plain white uh, Caucasians. So yes, there is always a conversation. It's either uh, loving and admiring it or feeling like, feeling inappropriate because it's not, it doesn't fit into the societal definition of beautiful hair or you know, having some um, not very positive experiences with I'm so glad you mentioned not positive experience. Not glad that you mentioned it, but I'm glad that we can transition to that. Often I feel black hair, it's admired, like people want to touch it, uh, but at the same time, they don't want it to look the way that it naturally looks. Why do you think that contradiction exists? I think most of the times, I mean, having been in Bangor, Maine for over a decade, uh, over uh, 10 years now, uh, when I first came, I had that, why don't you understand it? Why don't you know? But over time, I learned that most of those things are ignorance. Some of them are willful, yes. So many of them are not willful, you know. But at the same time, I feel that we have a lot of duties, work to do, both ways us as black people and at the same time you know the non-black people i feel it's a two-way thing uh, because a lot of times there are people who are genuinely um who genuinely want to know you know and i feel like a lot of times we are a little bit too touchy that we feel like everybody's working on sewing on eggshells you know but the truth is there is really no way people will learn if you don't have welcoming environments to learn. I'm not trying to excuse some, um, you know, irresponsible ways of wanting to learn or feeling entitled, like I have to touch someone's head to know. No, there are very respectful ways of, you know, being in inquisitive. It's okay to ask somebody, please, do you mind if I, you know, or maybe start from asking a question. You know, sometimes I, I, I see people, they walk up to me and like, please, I really, I really just have read about black people's hair but I've never had opportunity to touch me, you know? And then you see that when someone is genuinely wanting to know, you know, 
I feel like people need to understand that, you know, a bad person doesn't owe you to actually say yes, even when your your inquisitiveness is genuine. And at the same time, us as black women, we need to also learn to like, you know, to be um, admissive of when we feel that someone is genuinely wanting to learn. And also the community too has that duty uh, to be helping promote uh, creating safe spaces for people to understand that it's okay to say no. And it's okay to accept no when someone says no, you know, and for conversations like this to happen because when conversations like this happens, it helps a lot of people have the opportunity to actually learn. You know, we say this is the age of the internet, but yeah, there are still parts of men that don't even have those internet. There are still parts of men that even when they do, there is always a difference between what we read on Google and what you actually see in real life. So a lot of people have, I was at a conference, a youth conference at the University of Maine a couple months ago, and I met young kids who told me how, you know, them coming to University of Maine, like their high school kids, middle school kids, was their first time in life seeing a person of a black person. So, you know, imagine those kind of kids and they're like, oh, you know, I've seen pictures, I've seen this, but it just looks different, you know? So there are very genuine inquisitiveness out there. It's just that things have become so clouded that everybody is now very, con very suspicious of the next person. But I feel that we all have a duty to, a role to play in, in helping creating safe spaces. Right. And that is one of the reasons that I love my, my job, my employment, let me put it that way, with the Permanent Commission, because that is one of the things we are creating there, you know, uh, creating safe spaces you know, uh, for conversations that are this kind of uncomfortable supposed to be happening. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. Yeah, and ask respectfully, because a lot of people just feel like, oh, I'm asking a question, what is wrong? No. For example, you know, in Nigeria, we can say, are you okay? It means genuine, are you okay? And then I can ask, are you okay? See, they're the same thing, but they don't mean the same thing. You see my gesture that went with it. And then the tone, you know, um, it's not just about when you want something, you have to find a way to get what you need respectfully. And that was why I said, even when someone is genuinely inquisitive to learn, it still doesn't entitle them to a yes from the other person. And it's okay. You know, you don't go getting upset because you want to touch someone's head because you genuinely want to learn and the person says, no, no, you have a right. But at the same time, where your right, your right ends where my obligation, my own right starts. And then your obligation starts there. So I think it's all about knowing where to draw that balance. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you brought that up about asking politely and it's okay to ask and you might get a no and that's okay too i you know i was really impressed with your ability to find a balance with your your daughter so that she's embracing can embrace longer hair and still keep her own natural hair and because you're not straightening it, you are just braiding in, right? Yeah, we, we talked about, um, uh, she wears glasses too. So I, you know, um, I kind of worry if there will be some 
um, some impact, you know, with her eyes because um, she wears glasses and her hair, when it's natural, of course, it's, you know, when you comb it, of course, and she has very, she's very sensitive scalp. Like she will start to scream even before you touch the hair, just the thought that you pop into her hair, she's starting to jump up. So I kind of was worried, like, you know, who knows if that could be, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a science person, but I kind of feel like the eyes, the hair, the, whatever it is. Um, so braiding it is a way that gives uh, us a kind of a balance as she wants her hair long. You know, she doesn't want to cut her hair and it's fine. So we find a way to find a middle ground without giving people and uh, or having to comb it uh, on a regular basis. So that gives us a quite a reasonable balance. It's nice. Um, and of course, all the all the talk about you know the, the chemical and potential impacts and you know, scary too these days. <laughs> yeah. So we all of those things and safe space to be is just to the chemicals away more of styling right i mean i figured that those chemicals were not actually healthy but when it recently came out that if you're a black woman is eightfold it increases her chance of uterine cancer eightfold um, by using chemical straightening products kind of blew me away yeah, we, we had to talk about it. I explained it to her and, you know, we, so we understand, which is part of why it's becoming easier to get her hair styled now because she wants, doesn't want it short. She also understands that um, the chemicals are not at least safe from everything we are reading and hearing. I mean, I've used it pretty much all my life, but, you know, when you know better, you do better, right? Um, so, yeah, she understands that we have to do this. So. The only thing we do is we try to put as much rising products as possible to soften and condition the hair. But yeah, it's a conversation that we have uh, from time to time. Do you find that you, do you ever struggle finding words to talk about managing black hair that still are positive words or is it not a struggle at all? It is a struggle for me because English is really not my, my first language. Right? Um, a lot of times I was at um, Hamden Academy and the kid asked me, high school kid asked me. That was when it dawned on me. You know how we have all this um, all this uh, knowledge, but you know it's never really uh, very um, kind of in the subconsciousness. I never thought about it, but when she asked me, it was like, oh, ooh, like, you know, really. I, I struggle with uh, according to her, her question was, do you think in your native language or do you think in English? That was when it dawned on me that actually I do my thinking in my native language. So you, you see me, you hear me sometimes, I'm struggling to find the right words to use uh, because I have what I want to say in my head or in my native language. So trying to, and also in Nigeria, even the English we are raised in was British English. So coming here, even up till now, the way we, some things, some words are said, apart from the accents, the pronunciations are most times completely different, but even when they are written, the constructions are not always the same. The spellings are not always the same. So I still struggle with that a lot, you know, um, not just to speak right, and sometimes 
constructions are mean different way things in my language, the way we used it versus how it will be used here. So yes, I struggle a lot with doing all of that. And but the thing is, I have learned that that is actually one of my biggest strengths because it helps me connect with so many people. Because I have learned, you know, um, you know how they say strong women, strong women. You know, you put up this face like you know all is well, all is perfect. But I've learned in connecting with people that most times people connect with vulnerability because everybody's struggling. So a lot of times it's difficult for people to really connect with someone they see like this person is so when people a lot of times when people see me struggling with trying to put things the right way you know i think it helps me a lot to connect with people because you know someone i'm like oh um here with me but sometimes i try to like use proverbs too to like you know get my point across or, or paint tell a story to get my point across and then someone will be like you know as you're struggling like i was that's how i was struggling with so so thin and you know we have connected and then we start talking about struggles and how we overcome it and stuff like that so yeah i used to like i don't want to say feel shy about it or struggle internally but since i i learned to actually talk about it and embrace that that you know proudly english is not my first language and Yes, I, I think in my native language, and so many times I know what I want to say, but I can say it in my native language for you to understand. Actually, there have been times I blotted out my native language before I realized, okay, I'm not, you know, I have to translate it in English. And there have been times I unconsciously mix my native language and English when I'm speaking. I catch myself like, okay, no, I need to, you know, re re regroup myself and come back and say that again. So, yes. I struggle a lot with that, even though it may not be very obvious, but I guess I do struggle. I would say yes, it's not obvious that you are struggling with, I only speak English and I still search and give myself pauses so that I can find the words to express what I'm thinking. And I only speak one language. Um, but what I noticed is when I was like uh, younger, people would say kinky, and it had a negative connotation about the curl pattern of black women's hair or black men's hair too. Do you find that there are still words being used that have a negative connotation to them? Like nappy, well, sorry, nappy was the negative word and it was moved on to saying kinky instead of nappy because nappy hasn't had a negative connotation whereas kinky was not a negative vibe and it better described the hair pattern my experiences with yours are obviously not the same because i did not grow up here i grew up in nigeria mm -hmm. i came here uh at 20, 25 26 or there are 24 there um so by then i was already all you know pretty much established my ways and values and all of that. So growing up in Nigeria, we didn't really know anything about, uh, you know, white people uh, discriminating against black hair or calling all the different names. Um, so in Nigeria, I remember growing up, there were times, there were specific kind of hair extensions that, you know, you go to the hair salon and you're like, what style do you want? And then you tell, oh, I want a kinky style or I want this. So it wasn't something that was viewed as being offensive. 
really there, there is no one I can remember um, being used then that was really offensive until I came here that I started to um, to really learn most of those things. And to be honest with you, most of them, all those names, I really don't feel offended by them. Not because I, mostly because growing up, they weren't used as offensive for me. So this still goes back to where I feel sometimes either misunderstood or the communication problem because I truly don't feel offended. But at the same time, I try to see where someone like you will feel offended by that. That makes sense? It does. So that's why sometimes we immigrants sometimes it's like, oh, you're not getting upset. Like I have friends who are not uh, black, but are not immigrants. Like you should be outraged by this. And not that I'm not upset. But my outrage is not as much as yours. Not because I'm <clears throat> not because I don't see what is happening, but you know, there is a difference when there is a personal feeling to that versus me. Like I said, that was why I started by I had my values and my morals and everything that you know had already been fully formed inside this country. So it was easier for me, it's easier for me to see it from the perspective of a Nigerian, like I was in Nigeria. But at the same time, because I'm here, and more especially even because I have children now that are here, that are growing up here. So I have that outrage, but it can never be the same with the kind of outrage who, like my children, are going to have tomorrow, or even someone like you, or someone who came from the uh, history of slavery. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. Outrage, we all have outrage, but for different reasons they wouldn't be the same because of our background. So it still ties back to not just the communication, but you know, this idea of creating a safe space, um, working with people who identify with experiences that are being talked about. My experience makes determines the kind of outreach or the level of outreach that I have in several uh, circumstances. And your experience and upbringing determines your outreach or your, your reaction to certain things. So, I hear you. Yes. Um, well said. I was curious. I'm so glad you reminded me that you are an immigrant, so you have a different developmental stage. Your, you know, when you were going through puberty, you had a different experience of being your person. Um, in the world. Um, did you guys use the word nappy at all in in Nigeria? But at the same time, like different areas of Nigeria had different languages. Some we had this uh, pidgin English, which is more like cruelly. Um with that, even with that, different areas of Nigeria still had differences in those um you know, in the, in the wordings, depending on their language. So um, I don't remember hearing that, but it doesn't mean that it may not have existed in Nigeria while I was growing up. First place I remember hearing that was when I came here. And I remember hearing it as being described. Like, I think the first time I heard it, I didn't quite, you know, I didn't quite understand what it meant. I think either I, I Googled it or I asked somebody, I've forgotten. But, you know, when the person that explained it to me, I think she was, if I remember correctly, I think she was expecting that I was going to be outraged to that person. You know, and then I was, you know, and she was like, 
you okay? I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm okay, you know? It took me a while to understand the history and why she expected me to have been upset. But I wasn't visibly upset because the first time I heard it, I didn't know it was offensive, you know? So I thought, oh, that's how black people's hair is described here. Okay, cool. I've learned this, you know? And then over time, I learned that it was attributed to negativity. So that was when it started to make sense. That was part of my um, uh, cultural shock when I first came. I didn't think about, like, you know, because you grew up, you see your hair, you feel your hair is the best, and all of a sudden, you, you're learning that your hair texture is being attributed to something negative. So it's, you know, what the, what, you know, what the heck, like, you know? So... I was curious, was it a, a, a white person or a non-person of color who... Well, it was a white person, which was why, like I said, when I first came, Bangor was mostly white people. So it was a friend that I was with that I asked. Um, and she explained what it was. But, you know, she explained, you know how cautious, she was very cautious, trying not to get me upset, but at the same time wanting to explain what I asked. So she was, you know how someone is looking at you like, are you, you know, are you okay? <laughs> you know, and I, I was like, okay. And she was like, okay, like, yeah, yeah, you know. And then she was like, I thought you were, I'm like, why would I? And then she was like, because this, I'm like, oh, okay, it's one of them. <laughs> you know, it was. Yeah. Uh, I have to say that when I was growing up, I didn't think nappy was a bad word. It, and, but for some reason, if a white person said your hair was nappy, that was bad. Always. And I don't know why. And then I also remember when it was bad for black people to say it as well. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, it, it's just kind of like, at least in the States, when we were called colored and then we we were Negro and then we were colored. I'm not sure which one is first now, to be honest, um, <laughs> since they're both out of fashion. And then we became black and then we were African-American and then back to black or something. So I feel like sometimes things, it's like um, the intellectual people are more offended by things than regular folks in a way. Like they over-process and overthink so much and other people are just like, we're just living life. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's very difficult to actually uh, keep up because you know you're struggling. How do you how do you identify with these people without uh, offending anybody? And that is why I, I said initially that we all have work to do, a lot of work to do. Because with all these um, the labels and um, uh, intersections, and you know, it creates a lot of confusion and. Um, which is why I feel it's important to be patient with people when we see genuine um, curiosity. Because even like me, as a black person, I was telling someone that even within the black community, I, I, there are so many things I don't even know. You know, not because I don't want to know, but because there is a lot to keep up with. Sometimes you may be one, one I don't even know what to call it, one step behind and, you know, it's, the young people are coming up with so many things like you know it's 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 not very easy to keep up just like you explained sometimes it was negro sometimes it was black sometimes it was people of color sometimes it was you know it's it's a lot one of the reasons that i wanted to talk with you about hair was because 
you were going to bring this perspective that I'm not accustomed to being that you, you didn't come to the States until you were 26. So I thought that would be pretty cool. A good, like just the position of the questions I would ask and the perspective that you would be able to share with people. And Maine is one of those states where the black population is half possibly descendants of slavery. And then the other half are immigrants. In most states, it is not that high. Like, so it's very interesting. Um, there's a lot that I don't know in the black community here. And I'm still like trying to be like, hey, can I talk to you? You want to get coffee or something? Um, but I love that you had said that you grew up thinking that your hair was the best. So tell me what's so amazing about black hair? That was all I knew. I mean, who doesn't, you know, there's this thing in Nigeria that's whose who's mo who's mother's, everybody's mother's soup is the best, you know, because that is all you know. And, um, you know, it was always Nigeria, most African countries, but I'll still come back to Nigeria, we're very festive people. So it's always, was always, um, you know, you, you get to do your hair like this and you get to do it like that. And, you know, it was, it was the versatility, the ability to sometimes your hair may be very long, but being able, there's this style they would do, they would put hairnet or something and make it look like you're actually on low cut. So that versatility, being able to maybe, you know, when we would use um, traits to braid hair, you know, it stretches, it just the magic of the hair that it can be so short or look so short. And then at the same time, it can be stretched out. Like, you know, that versatility was a huge, huge thing. Being able to add extension, being able, like, I remember as a young girl, you know, just like my daughter, we would struggle to get her hair braided. But once we are done, she would literally occupy the front of the mirror for as long as, you know, she's flipping her hair. She's, you know, that kind of, she's doing her hair like this and all of that. It was all with you, like, you know, you wear your beautiful, for example, Christmas celebration periods. We would go home, like, you know, to the village, all the cousins around and everybody wears, gets to got um, new dresses and shoes. You cannot be doing celebrating Christmas with new dress and shoes without new hair. No, you know it was it was always something that if there is a celebration, the hair has to be done. It was like it was very basic, and you know most schools kids wore their hair done. So it was something that was it was kind of my identity too, you know how you your hair was, how dense or how long or how this it was, or, you know, it was all I knew. And I mean, like I said, everybody's mother's soup is the best. <laughs> so all I knew, it was all me and my siblings. And, you know, it was, to me, it was the best. I didn't even, I mean, yes, we braided hair, we fixed weavers, we did all of that, but you know, you will always still look forward to having your hair and packing it and checking, oh, it's growing or, you know, I'm losing hair, so what can I do to make it fuller, you know? It was always that excitement of, oh, my hair is growing or my hair is fuller or it's losing, you know, I'm losing hair, what can I do? Like, you see people having sleepless nights because they are losing the density of their hair because it was that important. You know, in the olden days, it was, it was part of, um, it was a culture, it was cultural and uh, you will use uh, hairstyles 
to kind of know what class, societal or economic class, and um, someone was married or single, or if um, someone was uh, married to a rich person or to royalty. So there are, and then a lot of people also use hair braiding to like express themselves. So the versatility that goes into hair, the history that goes into hair is, is something that, you know, you come here feeling very proud of it. And all of a sudden you see that, oh, the kid got denied an opportunity to advance in wrestling because he had dreads or that a kid had to be dropped from cheerleading because of it. So, so you know, it's that culture shock, something that I've held so much in high esteem and all of a sudden i have to be wary of it i have to be concerned about you know <clears throat> what if i want to lock dreadlock my hair what if i'm not going to look professional what if i'm going to be looked down because of this or what if this or what if that you know so it was for me it was it was a lot but at the same time there were so many other things that are we have cultural shock for me and you know you pick and choose your battles so but I'm, I'm glad that we are where we are right now with the Crown Act. And, um, you know, uh, um, in our state, I would I always like to come back to my Bengal. Um, there has been a lot of conversation and uh, enlightenment as to different cultures. And there has been a lot of acceptance by the community. And, you know, when I got on council, things were a lot different than it is right now. And that is one thing that I'm very, always very proud of. Uh, in our community, there's a lot of comfortable conversations going on, and you know, people being interested in what learn, not just wanting to learn, but people actually um, striving to do the work or support people that do. Oh, that's awesome! Well said, and I love the black hair is amazing because you can use it to celebrate, you have the versatility of different hairstyles. You also can use it as a visual language to express your social status, your marital status, um, and just to express yourself. So, so I think that's my question. So if you are using your hair to express if you're single and maybe your level of economic success, then what makes it expressing just like your artistic side? Um, for me, it's like I, I told you, I sister locked my hair, so I can pretty much pack it anyhow I want to style it, depending on where I'm going to. For example, if I'm going to, uh, let's say, at the inclusion main that I was on the panel, you know, I wanted to look up like professional to go with my outfits, you know, pack, pack it. There are ways that it's more professional. And sometimes I just want to look casual, like, you know, or whatever depending on where I'm going to or how I feel. Sometimes when I don't feel so good, or maybe, uh, you know, on my face, maybe I, I don't really wear makeup, except lip gloss and stuff. But sometimes, you know, face doesn't look at the best it can. You know, I can just leave it flying. And, you know, it kind of adds some kind of whatever. I don't even know what name to give it. Face or to the outfit or how I want to look that day. So there are so many... um. And then you see like uh, <clears throat> celebrities, you know, different um, different uh, occasions bring forth different um, hairstyles to go with several things. You see some people they dye their hair or they color their hair different, um, different colors or add some markings to them. 
you know, it's it's very self-expressive, you know, how you want to be seen or how you want to feel or how you want the vibe you want to give out or how the vibe you don't even want to give out. So, hey, it's, it's, you know, it brings in so many things. Sometimes you know that someone is not at their best through their hair. Because if you know, for example, that when every time you see me, my hair is well put up, however it is, but it's, you know, it's well taken care of. And all of a sudden, you see me, my hair is not very well taken care of. You know, for me, it stands out like, oh, this is so unlike you. Are you okay? You know, so it's, it's, hair is very crucial. It's very important. It's very basic to who we are as, as, as humans, generally, I would say, and more importantly, even as black women. Why is it more important as for black women? Um, for me, I feel that, you know, the, the travels, the, the struggles, the, the negativity that have been pushed to that, I think that is what makes it what's more celebrating and what more uh, highlighting and talking about. And the fact that, I mean, like I told you, I have Caucasian people, women, and even men coming to braid hair, you know, because there is so much versatility in our hair. Like, you know, sometimes I wear wig and people are like, oh, how did your hair just grow up? You know, that's excitement. Like, I don't know what it is, but I feel that the fact that there's been a lot of persecution and all of a sudden we are still here. We are still doing our hair, wearing our hair in natural ways. We are still, you know, cutting our hair. Like, come on, it's... What celebrated the fact that our hair has survived all the trap that was thrown at It's what celebrated. I love that black hair is versatile. I love that it's on a timeline that doesn't exist or that intertwines. Like it's futuristic and it's also the past and then it's present day. Like it's all this at one time. Like I looked at hairstyles and history books from black people and they could still be worn today. When you look at white people's hairstyles from back in the day, you're like, hmm, no. Thank you so much for making the time. You are clearly a very busy person. That being said, what's the plug? How can people reach you? You've got 10,000 businesses, so please, let's let's hear them all. I want the websites. I want, I want social media plugs. I want it all. So I, the international market is called Tropical Taste and Styles. It's an international market here in Bangor, Maine. Um, we do hair braiding and we sell uh, rotaries from across the world. We are on 347 Harlow Street. I am also an immigration attorney. I am also on 347 Harlow Street. Um, and my newest business right now, uh, it's a pre-loved um, luxury uh, fashion products, uh, items on budgets. The name is Pre-Love Luxury on Budget. I am on Facebook for both businesses, for the three businesses, and I'm on Instagram. Tropical Taste and Styles, Luxury, Pre-Love Luxury on Budget, and we'll have follow-up practice. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't know if I said this earlier, but due to Space Gallery giving me a grant, I was able to afford to make the time to edit this and talk to you and do some research and figure out who I wanted to talk to. So thank you, Space Gallery, for the grant. Thank you, Angela Okafor, for your time again. If you like what you've heard, 
and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. 